Hello and welcome to Chanel. We are glad that you're with us today. If you're joining us online, we're glad to see you as well. We're continuing our series called The Extra Mile this morning. Let's go ahead. We'll go back to that opening side, Stan. Uh, we're continuing our ser- sermon series, The Extra Mile this morning, with a conversation about gratitude. I believe that there is no more difficult thing to teach children than gratitude. Now, I'm not talking about saying thank you, like that instinctive nature when someone brings you something, you look at them and you say thank you, like our kids get it, but it's, it's gratitude. It's the difference between just instinctively saying thank you and kind of meaning it. Now, I've thought a lot this week about why is that so difficult to teach children, especially with, with my two children, who I have at times, they're not in here, I at times call them bad kids. They're not bad kids. I love them. But... The point is that it's, it's difficult at times to teach these kids what it means to be thankful for something or appreciate someone doing something for you. If I'm honest with you, the reason why that is so difficult, I think, for children to learn is because all of their needs are just often met, right? I, I'm, a, I'm a girl dad. I love it. I love being Isla's dad. I love being Judah's dad too. But let's put that in there. Make sure he, if he watches this. But I love being a girl dad. And it's so hard for me to tell Isla no in any circumstance or situation. If you've ever seen my social media and you're, you see us at Target, you know she's getting whatever she wants, especially if Whitney's not there. If Whitney's not there, Isla's getting whatever she wants. And I get in trouble. Because Whitney's like, we did not have a unicorn sparkle purse when I left the house. Now there's a unicorn sparkle purse at our house now. Bryce, where did that come from? I'm like, I couldn't say no. She said we needed it. I guess we needed it. And I find myself doing that over and over again with our kids, right? Where you just, you give them what they need. And when we do that, which I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but when we do that without teaching them to appreciate, to show gratitude, to show that you, you love somebody for what they've done for you, that it means something. Then, If you're not teaching those things, they get in those ruts where they just think that things should just be given to them. One of the most important individuals in my entire life was my grandmother, Miss Janine Oglesby. I, I will fight you. She was the sweetest human being on this planet. I loved my grandmother more than anything. My grandmother grew up in the Great Depression in Morton's Gap, Kentucky. Now that even the, the city name makes it sound like she grew up in a poor place. I'm just telling you, if you've ever been to Morton's Gap, there's not a lot to do in Morton's Gap, and those people struggle. My grandmother grew up in Morton's Gap, Kentucky in the 1930s. She didn't have anything. My grandmother was notorious for saving Sonic cups. That was something that she did. If we went to Sonic, she would save her Sonic cup because she didn't know in her mind when she would need that extra cup, but she wanted to appreciate every little thing in her life. And I think about the differences between somebody that gets a unicorn purse whenever she wants it to my grandmother who, who believed that she needed to take care of everything just like a sonic cup. Now there's a passage in James chapter 5 that reads, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. And I'm using this verse as an anchor to talk about this idea that it's easy to show gratitude when things are going our way. It's easy to be appreciative of God and the way that God is working in our lives when we're getting those promotions, when we're getting those contracts, when there's no drama at school, no drama here, when there's no drama at school, when things are going the way that we want them to, it's easy to praise God. It's easy to be thankful for what God is doing in our lives. 
But our character is really showcased by how we act when things aren't going our way. When maybe it's, it's difficult to look around and say, hey, what are the things that I'm really supposed to be grateful for? There's a story in the Old Testament that I, I love. And I love this story because when I was a kid, I went to a camp very similar to Camp Dakota. And we would lie about our ages at this camp so we wouldn't have to get stuck with this one teacher. No one wanted to go to this guy's class. He's a wonderful preacher in Western Kentucky, but he was just, he was boring. And we didn't want to go to his class. And so we would say, I'm not this old. I don't have to go to that guy's class. But what happened was one year, my youth minister, who knew my age, was like, you're not 12. I know that you're not 12. I know you. And so I got sent to this guy's class. And the reason you want to go to this guy's class is because he made you read the entirety of the book of Job. There were no games. There were no videos. There was nothing. Just you, your Bible, and this pastor. And so this summer, I spent reading the entirety of Job in this class. It was one of the most boring, enlightening experiences of my young life. And so I found a lot of value in the story of Job, and I want to talk about the story of Job in this conversation of gratitude. Because again, it's so easy to be thankful when things are going our way. But what, what about when the tide turns? And maybe you lose your job. Your friends at school turn against you. If life just isn't heading in the direction that you want it to, how are you showing gratitude in those seasons and in those moments? And so the story of Job begins in Job chapter 1. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys. and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. Now we'll stop right there and absorb that. Because that is a heavy first two passages, right? We learn a lot about this man Job out of the gate. We know that he has everything. He has wealth beyond our imagination. He has this large family that he loves. He spends time with. He, he celebrates life with these people. He's blameless and upright. His, his character is good. He fears God and shunned evil. Even he's following God. Everything checks the list for this guy. When you look at Job's life, you think, there's absolutely this individual is grateful for the life that God has given him. Look at the last line. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. He was renowned for who he was. And we look at somebody like Job and we say, of course he is grateful for the life that God has given him. Look at it. Look at the list. Look at the camels, the donkey, the oxen. Everything that this man could imagine at this time in the world he had. If you translated that today, it could be cars, houses, whatever you want to put in the blank. But we understand that idea, right? Of everything he wanted, he has. And if we stopped right there, we'd be like, okay, this is kind of a cool story. This guy has everything he wants. But this is why I love the story of Job. It's because it gets weird. There's a weird turn in the book of Job in verse 6. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. Okay, we're all cool with that. Then the Lord, okay, cool. And this is like, again, going back to that youth group camp, like this is where the, the teacher was like, you guys see that there's a lot of stuff in this story. 
that we just read over and we read past it. But there's weird and valuable things happening deep within the story of Job. So the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Again, it's weird, right? It kind of makes us uncomfortable to think that Satan is just roaming the world, kind of looking to stir up trouble. But you, you kind of get that vibe a little bit here. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Again, I don't like this. I'm going to be honest right now. I don't like the vibe that Satan's given us here. I don't like his just uh, access that he has to wherever, but that's what he's doing. But I would, I would counter that it kind of gets a little bit more strange by how God responds. So Satan is just kind of roaming around, doing whatever he wants to, seeing, checking out the scenery. And in verse 8, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? I've studied this book for a long time. And I've, I've often come back to this point of like, why does God do this? Because if you think about it, like a disruption in Job's life is about to occur. Like we know that even just reading the first eight verses, we know that Job's entire life is about to be disrupted. And God offers it to Satan. Not in a malicious way, but in a way to say, have you seen, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And if I were to give you an explanation of why God does this, it's because God is is proud of Job. He looks at Job as an excellent example of what it means to be a follower of God. It's, it's kind of like a proud father moment, really. And then Satan responds in verse 9, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. I don't want to spend a lot of more time in the book of Job, but I want to emphasize this. That Job's life is challenged from this point. Satan takes away everything. His family, his livestock, his home, his estate, everything that Job had, Satan takes away. But Job never turns his back on God. Even when his friends are telling him, Job, what are you doing? His wife doing the same thing, just curse the day you were born and be gone. Even when those challenging opportunities come up, Job doesn't turn his back on God and he's still grateful that God created him. Even in the pain, even in the hardships, even when things are so difficult that Job can't see the next day in front of him, he is thanking God. And he trusts God and he's grateful for God. I want to turn a corner here this morning for an unlikely story, and that is about Dolly Parton. I promise you this story is going to fit. Dolly Parton, uh, as you guys know, amazing country music singer, has an amazing impact on our society. I think if you've got a kid, you can sign up for the Dolly Parton reading program, and she will send you a book every single month. Excellent, excellent thing to do. You can do that right now. I don't care, on your phones. But Dolly Parton really started in the 1960s. It's kind of when her career picked up in the country music scene. Now, to kind of elevate that, what Dolly Parton needed to do was kind of find somebody to work with. And the individual's next picture here that she found to work with was a guy named Porter Wagner. Porter Wagner had a television show in the 1960s called 
the Porter Wagner te- television show. Wasn't, you know, he didn't have a cle- clever name, but that's what it was called. He was Porter Wagner. He had a show. Let's call it that. So in the 1960s, Porter Wagner invited Dolly Parton to the Porter Wagner television show to join and be kind of a co-host. And they made an agreement to join the show for five years. Now in year seven of this five-year agreement, Dolly Parton wanted out. You guys heard that. For seven years, they were together when she had agreed on five. And she actually said that it was the hardest breakup ever. It was like we were married and we weren't married. And so she wanted out of that working relationship. Now, in, in the business world, what happened here is the relationship just crumbled. This was somebody that helped Dolly Parton get on her feet, make a name for herself in the country music scene. And then all of a sudden, her, her co-worker, her co-host, somebody that she had trusted, somebody that she had loved and depended on, they were turning against each other because of the business side of the deal. And what happened next was Porter Wagner sued Dolly Parton. That's normally when friendships go to crumble, right? When one of you gets sued by the other. And that's kind of what happened here. Their relationship just, you know, dissolved. What happened for Dolly Parton was her career really picked up after she left the Porter Wagner show. You started seeing hits like 9 to 5, Jolene. Jolene, Jolene, okay. I I thought Hankins and I were going to do it. But anyway, but you know these songs, right? Like her career really started to pick up. And she became this icon in country music. But the opposite could be said of Porter Wagner. Because after their breakup, after the suing and all that stuff happened, Porter Wagner's career did not go in the same trajectory as Dolly Parton's. He got to this point to where Porter Wagner needed help. He needed somebody to give him a leg up, a life raft, per se. And so what Dolly Parton decided to do was to give him money to buy the rights to his music. She basically bought him for around a million dollars. She said, I'm going to buy your catalog so that you have a million dollars in the bank to rebound. Now think about that for a second. This is somebody that had sued her, that had embarrassed her, that had made her career difficult. But she did this thing for this person because she was still grateful for how they started. Again, how you respond in moments of, like, of challenges and diversity that shows your character. She could have easily just said, man, Porter Wagner, sorry to hear it, buddy. Can't help you out. But what she chose to do was to be grateful for their relationship. And remember how he had given her a leg up when she needed a, an intro into the country music scene. Now, years later, Porter Wagner, he gets back on his feet. His career rebounds a little bit, obviously not to the level of Dolly Parton's, but his career rebounds and He wants to buy his catalog back. One of his last things he wanted before he died, he wanted his music back. And instead of being vindictive, instead of saying, you know what, you've got to pay me double for that, Dolly Parton just gave him the whole catalog back. He said, you don't owe me anything, you can just have it. I look at a story like that from the country music scene from the 1960s, and I think about what can we learn about gratitude. In that story, I see somebody that was grateful for another person even when they made their life difficult. Even when they made their life challenging, Dolly was grateful for Porter Wagner. And as we talk about being extra mile Christians, like that is an example of that. That even when we are faced with challenges, we go the extra mile in showing people that we appreciate them. Even when they make our lives difficult, we show them that they matter and that they care. The last story that I want to look at in Scripture is from Luke chapter 17. I love these miracles of Jesus. 
that they happen in such a unique and powerful way. But in Luke chapter 17, the story begins, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now think about this for just a moment, the scene that we're building here. Jesus is walking along the way. These lepers are in a leper community. They are removed from the world. They aren't allowed to be around anyone else. They have to be separated. So they, the only contact that they have is with each other or passerbyers like this scene here. But as Jesus is, is traveling between Samaria and Galilee, it's like they see their chance, right? Like they see that moment, that opportunity to connect, to have hope for just a minute. Say, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. 14, when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. I've seen this story in Scripture a lot, and I'm not trying to make light of it, but it's one of those, like, you know, three-point miracles where, like, Jesus is so far away from them, but he still heals them just by his voice alone. And so you see the power and the presence of Jesus in this moment. And it's easy for us to look at this story and think, this is the takeaway, right? That regardless of where Jesus is, regardless of how close he is to you, Jesus can perform miracles in your life. Even if you feel like you're at a distance or separated or removed, Jesus can still heal and help you in your life. Yes, take that away from the story. But where I'm trying to show you this morning is in connection to gratitude. Because I want, to see, I want you to see how one of the lepers responds in this moment. So the next passage in verse 15. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. And there's, there's clear social implications there with the Samaritans. We've seen this all throughout the gospel. Samaritans were a people that were looked down upon. Uh, they were a culture that the Jews hated. They did not want to associate with them. And so you get that layer here that we, have to, we don't want to dismiss that. There's an element here of it's a Samaritan doing this. But what I see in this story is that there were 10 people who were healed, but only one of them went the extra mile. Only one of them showed gratitude to the person that saved them. And that's what separates this man from the rest of them. When we talk about what it means to be extra mile Christians, this is another example of that. Regardless of what everyone else around you is doing, we need to go the extra mile. And when it comes to gratitude, that may mean going out of our way to show someone that they matter to you, that they mean something, that they have made an impact in your life. And because they have done that, you'll be forever thankful for them. You see that here in Luke 17. Do you think it was easy for this individual to walk away from the group when everyone else was going to the priest to show them that they were clean? This individual said, I'm going in the opposite direction. My life is going to look different than the rest of theirs. You may be going in that direction, but I know that God is calling me in this one. And so Jesus ends with this. We're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to praise God except this foreigner? And he said to them, rise and go, your faith has made you well. So we see a lot of elements in Scripture. We are called to go the extra mile. Often we don't. 
for maybe our own personal reasons. Maybe we're, we're exhausted. Maybe we've got too much on our plate. But friends, God will put moments and opportunities in each of your lives where you have that chance to go a little bit further than everyone else. But it's your choice. You have to decide whether or not you're going to look different than everyone else. In the story of Luke 17, you have to decide if when everyone else is going in one direction, will you go the other? Will you go the extra mile to show your gratitude and your appreciation? When everyone else is complaining in situations, can you look and find the good out of those? But it's up to you. God has called us to go the extra mile. And at the end of the day, we have to decide if we're going to do that or not.